If you've got a Bible with you, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Well, should you be concerned about what others think about you? That was our subject this morning, and as I said this morning, it carries on being our subject this evening. Should you care what others think about you? It doesn't take much thought to see it's relevant to us all. Uh, Our appearance, our clothes, our words, our actions, so much is, is about what do others think of me? The person who has no care at all what others think, I would suggest is probably quite an antisocial sort of person. 
And yet, our concern for what others think of us, it gets in and it spoils things. It causes all sorts of anxiety. It stops us enjoying things. Have you thought of this, how it it can cause, instead of just enjoying that holiday or enjoying playing that sport for its own right, that gets spoilt by it becoming, how will this look on social media? How does this compare with what other people have got or what other people are doing? And it even leads us into sin. Proverbs, which we saw this morning, told us esteem is a good thing, desirable, also tells us the fear of man is a snare. But this morning we heard that this concern about what others think of us is is hardwired into us because we were made to be displays of God's glory and we were made to be social beings. And you can't be a social being without thinking of others and caring what they think. But it's got twisted and turned in on self. So instead of caring what others think, it's been caring what others think about me. Instead of being for God's glory, it's been for my tawdry glory. It's all been made part of our self-promotion project. Well, I want us to get help now with redirecting that. Redirecting that concern from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have Paul describing his role as an apostle preaching the gospel. That's not us. None of us are apostles. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 is firstly about him. But with a little adjustment, it's about gospel preachers down through the history of the church. And with a little more adjustment, it's about all Christians. And so we're going to see, I hope, how Paul describes himself and then see how we should be like that. And then I hope see how that will help us redirect this concern we have about what others think of us. Now, I was going to have some points taking us through the context of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. If I remember rightly, they went something like the display of the gospel in chapter 3. It's a display amongst blind people, we find in chapter 4. But I realised I was trying to pack too much in. So we're just going to launch straight in at verse 5. And to defend myself, in these letters of Paul, you're basically always cutting into a logical flow somewhere unless you start at the beginning of the letter because it's such a logical flow. So we're jumping into the logical flow and we're jumping in here, displaying Jesus Christ. Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The Apostle Paul is describing himself and his role. And we're jumping into the centre of it. What is the centre of it? It's all about preaching, not himself, but Jesus. That's Paul's role, preaching Jesus. But we can broaden it out to all Christians. And our role is promoting Jesus. You might never stand up in front of a crowd and preach, but our lives should be about promoting Jesus, making him known. Now, I hope how this links to and how this answers this morning's question, this morning's subject, will be clear fairly quickly. Let's have a little think about it. Let's imagine a person called Gail is on holiday with friends. And she starts to realise that so much of what she does is about what those other friends think of her. The clothes she takes with her. The books she reads on the plane there and hopes that they notice. The activities she chooses to get involved in. 
The things she says and the things she doesn't say when they ask about her work. So much is about what others think of her. And she, she tries to stop it. And she knows she shouldn't be like that. And she tells herself to stop it. But it doesn't work. Just telling herself to stop it doesn't work. And I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Because little in life works as easily as just telling yourself to stop it. Try this. Don't think about bananas. Okay, I'm telling you not to think about bananas. Now, I suspect no one here was thinking about bananas, were you? But you probably are now thinking about bananas. Don't think about those yellow bendy things that you can peel and eat. Well, you know, just telling you not to, it doesn't help, does it? You, you have to not just tell yourself not to do something. It doesn't tend to work. You have to replace it with something else. Replace it with something else. By the way, that illustration, don't, don't think about bananas, I got when I was um, training to be a teacher. And you don't tell your children, don't do something. You have to give them something. Replace the bad behaviour with something else. Well, Saul of Tarsus, he'd been a very self-promoting man. How had that changed? By being replaced with something better. Verse 5, he doesn't promote himself. It's being replaced by something better. Promoting Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just say he's promoting Jesus Christ. He says a little more than that. Let's look more closely. Verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now do you see the little extra detail there? He doesn't just say, I'm promoting Christ, not self. He says, I'm promoting Christ as Lord. Not myself as Lord. No, no, I'm just the servant. Now you might say, that's obvious. Of course Paul isn't Lord. Of course he wouldn't promote himself as Lord. Oh, well, actually it's not so obvious. We'll come back to that in a minute. He's not promoting himself as Lord, it's Christ as Lord, and he's a servant. Who's he serving? Well, he says in verse 5, other people. The Christians that he's writing to, but for Jesus' sake. So he's ultimately serving Jesus. Now, you say, of course he doesn't promote himself as Lord, but as we interact with others, when our mind is on, what do they think of me? How am I coming across? Aren't we acting as if we are the Lord? And they are here for me. They're here for me. And what matters is, is what they think of me. As if I'm the Lord. What an ugly attitude. Instead, Paul models to us an attractive attitude. I want to serve others. And the best way I can serve others is to display Jesus to them. And funnily enough, in the process, I'm serving Jesus as well. Isn't that much more attractive? Living to display, to promote Jesus. Now, how that sounds to you, whether that sounds desirable to you or just like the sort of meaningless talk a preacher gives, all depends on how much you've experienced the next verse. So let's move on. Verse 6. We've just had displaying Jesus Christ. Now we have, he's displayed himself to us. He's displayed himself to us. Paul lived to display Jesus. What had made him like that? Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light 
shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the most important bit this evening. This is the key to it all. Saul of Tarsus was this self-promoting man with a heart full of darkness. And he travelled along a road to Damascus, breathing out threats and slaughter, going to imprison Christians. When a light shone on him from the sky. But more importantly, a light shone into his dark heart and showed him Jesus Christ. And the face of Jesus Christ, a face he had thought represented a religious fraud, a blasphemer to be opposed, he now saw that face was full of the glory of God. And this man who thought he was serving God by attacking Jesus now found he didn't even know God until he knew him through Jesus. Verse 6 is essential. It's essential because knowing God is the... Well, I've just now shown for Saul and for everyone it's the start of the Christian life. But it's also the key to everything in the Christian life. It's not just the start, it's the key to everything. What sort of books are the best-selling amongst Christian books? Well, it tends to be biographies and how-to books. How-to books, how to improve your marriage, how to enjoy your prayer life, how to have a better work-life balance. Now, they all sound like good subjects. I'm not saying don't buy books like those. But it should be the best-selling books of books about God. What is he like? Because the key to all those other areas is knowing God. Think of what was the answer to Job's struggles with suffering. There he was just at a loss in all of his sufferings until he knew God. He didn't get all of his answers, but it did answer his sufferings, knowing God. What motivated Isaiah to be eager to serve, even though the conditions were so difficult? It was knowing God, Isaiah chapter 6. Interestingly, John 12 says that was through Jesus that Isaiah knew God. What helped Asaph as he struggled with doubts? It was knowing God. You read that in Psalm 73. What turned self-promoting, dark-hearted Saul of Tarsus into this man who says it's all about promoting Jesus? It was the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a necessity, a necessity for overcoming, being taken up with what others think of you. Let's have another example. It's very similar to an example I gave this morning. A girl at school has done something silly. She has, I tried to think up some silly things that weren't too outrageous. Well, maybe this is quite outrageous. She set a book on fire with a Bunsen burner. Why on earth has she done that? Because the other girls who were with her dared her to. And she was bothered what they thought of her, the girls that were surrounding her. They egged her on. She was bothered what they thought. And she's burnt a book in the Bunsen burner. Now she's in front of the teacher and she's feeling rather silly about what she's done. She cares what the teacher thinks about her. Why? Because he's the one there that she's aware of. We're influenced most by whoever we're most aware of at that moment. Whether it's the crowd of girls egging her on to burn the book or whether it's the teacher she's in trouble with. If what we hear about getting God's esteem that we heard this morning and displaying God's glory 
is going to be able to have any effect on our lives, if he's going to be able to motivate us, we need to be aware of God. We need to know him. You can know all the doctrine about justification. You can know all about being accepted by God. You can know even that he esteems you. But if when you're with others, God seems very distant and they seem very close and real, you'll be more bothered what they think than what God thinks. God's esteem will seem like a, just a theoretical thing. Their esteem will seem very real and pressing. Having the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ isn't an impractical luxury. It's a practical necessity. It's also a a necessity for this reason. Here's a different reason why we need verse 6. Because everyone displays what they think is their treasure. I reckon everyone displays what they think is their treasure. The 20-something-year-old man walking down the streets on a cold January day in a tight T-shirt and short sleeves. What does he think is his treasure? Oh, it's his muscles he's, show, he's displaying. The woman who likes everyone to know all the letters that she's got after her name. What does she think is her treasure? Oh, it's her cleverness that she's displaying. What's your treasure? What do you like to display? What do you want people to know about you? What was Paul's treasure? Have a look at verse 7. Verse 7, but we have this treasure. What treasure? What's he talking about? Well, it's clearly what he's just said in the previous verse. The treasure is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul has learned to treasure him. That face That's so amazing. That face was set like a flint to go to Jerusalem for me. That face that was stained with tears over Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that stones the prophets and was about to kill him. How often I'd long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That face that gave itself to the smiters who tore out chunks of his beard. That face that will one day make millions say, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. That face that makes us say, your face, Lord, will I seek. That's Paul's treasure. Is it your treasure? We need to get to know Jesus. Until we say, he's my treasure. And what have I got that's more worth showing off than him? We have displaying Jesus Christ. The key to it all is he's displayed himself to us. But now we move on to a surprising display case. In verse 7 to 12, the treasure is in a very surprising display case. You go into a jewellery shop and you tell them, I'm looking for the best diamond ring you've got. What's the most expensive diamond ring you've got? That's what I'm after. And the, uh, the person, the assistant there, she reaches onto a shelf at the back and she takes down a grubby-looking little flimsy pot. It looks like it's come from Poundland. No offences if you shop at Poundland. And she pulls out from it this amazing diamond ring. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? That's bizarre. Keeping the shop's best diamond ring in a flimsy, grubby-looking pot from Poundland. 
But that's what God's doing here in verse 7. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Why does he do it? Why does God put the diamond ring in a grubby-looking pot from Poundland? Because the aim is to display the treasure, Jesus, not us. Jesus full of grace, kindness and patience. And he's not best displayed by people who give the impression they don't need any grace, kindness and patience because they're wonderful and got everything sorted. Jesus, who has power to change hearts. And that isn't best displayed by people who give the impression that they're clever arguments. And their capability and their being on trend is what really wins people. So much of our lives, I reckon, is about trying to persuade people and ourselves that we're more than jars of clay, that we're better than jars of clay, that we're stronger than jars of clay, that we've got more to offer God than jars of clay. A lot of church activity, sadly, I think is trying to tell the church that we're more than jars of clay. We're better than those weak-looking churches, those pathetic-looking churches, those petering-out sort of churches. We're better than clay jars. Oh, we've got it so wrong. So wrong. We're clay jars, but we're treasure carriers. The most respected Christian here, or listening online, is a clay jar. Nothing better than a clay jar. The weakest-looking Christian here, The most discouraged and weak-feeling Christian here is a treasure carrier. Are you feeling self-confident and full of yourself? Remember, you're a clay jar. Are you feeling discouraged and knowing your weakness? Remember, you're a treasure carrier. And the need for Jesus to be shown up, not us, means that God often has to remind us that we're clay jars. And he has his ways of reminding us we're clay jars. This is verses 8 to 12. Verses 8 to 12. Here we have troubles that show that we're just clay jars, easily broken, pretty weak and unimpressive. This is what I was talking about this morning. Do you remember that illustration of a mirror? Uh, Imagine the mirror has got some sort of consciousness. Imagine it's a living mirror. And it's conceitedly thought its frame was the best bit. And so it's grown a gaudy, ugly, big frame that has grown over the mirror until the reflection can hardly be seen because it's all frame and you can hardly see the mirror. And what does Jesus do? He pushes back that frame that we think looks good, but it doesn't really. And sometimes it's painful having the frame pushed back. And sometimes we protest, but I need people to see who I am and to see what I've got to offer. No, you don't. Jesus is cutting away that frame so the reflection can be seen. God, we were made to reflect. And he's going to make us a lot more attractive because reflecting God is a lot more attractive than anything we've got to offer. And when we know that's what God is doing in our troubles, then the hard pressing in life, verse 8, doesn't crush us. And the perplexing things that come to us, verse 8, don't cause despair. And the striking down, verse 9, that we sometimes get, doesn't destroy us. We're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. It's like a boxer in the ring. Well, one who hasn't lost. 
Read verses 7 to 12 sometime and you'll see there's a lot more there about being like Jesus, especially the troubles we get, like dying each day, bringing life to others. Christ-likeness by being shown up to be clay jars but with treasure. But instead of going through that, let's briefly finish with this. Looking forward to the most magnificent display. Verse 13 and 14. Looking forward to the most magnificent display. You see, all of this doesn't mean we're supposed to rise above having any care about us. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have any care about yourself. Oh, how selfish of you to have any thought about yourself. It doesn't mean the peak of spirituality is I've become so selfless I don't care what happens to me. I'm just all about displaying Jesus, I don't care what happens to me. I don't think we'll manage such selflessness and I don't think we're supposed to. The Apostle Paul lived like this because he had faith. Verse 13, I believed, therefore I've spoken. He's got faith. What is the faith? That Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 14, because we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. But it doesn't stop there. It's not, and so I don't care anything about what happens to me. No, because he knows something will happen to him. Verse 14, and so this God who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. A time is coming when you won't be hard-pressed. A time is coming when you won't be perplexed. A time is coming when you won't be knocked down, let alone knocked out. Time is coming when you'll be raised up to new life. Raised up like Jesus. And then we, we won't even be clay jars. No, not even clay jars. Because verse 14, we'll be raised up with Jesus. And like Jesus, we'll share in the splendour of the one whose face displays the glory of God. The gospel's wonderful. It's got such high truths about Jesus and who he is and about eternity with him that practically help. High truths, but they're for tomorrow. They're for whoever you mix with this week. They are for clay jars this week in that struggle to not be so bothered what others think of us, but instead to be treasure carriers displaying the Lord Jesus in jars of clay.